You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on October 21st, 2018. A reading from the Gospel of Mark. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, All these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I want you to think back to your childhood and to your dreams as a child about what you wanted to be when you would grow up. We all have these dreams about what we might want to be someday, Uh, and especially as little children, we have uh, some very high aspirations oftentimes. Uh, Often people want to be firefighters or astronauts or uh, lawyers or doctors or any number of things. Police officers, that's a popular one among little boys. Uh, Some little girls too. But what did you want to be when you would grow up? I wanted to be uh, a lawyer. Why? Because I thought of lawyers as people who would have laptops and cell phones, which were pretty rare in the time when I was a a boy, Uh, and I thought that would be pretty cool to have a laptop and a cell phone. So I thought maybe I'll be a lawyer and then I could have a laptop and a cell phone. What does it take to be an astronaut? I looked this up on on the NASA's website. I, I thought that might be a lofty goal some people would shoot for. So what does it take to be an astronaut? 
Well, first of all, you need to have a bachelor's degree in one of the STEM fields, in engineering or biological science or physical science or computer science or mathematics. And then you need at least three years of related professional experience. So you have to go and work as a scientist or you have to have a thousand or so hours as a pilot in jet aircraft. Okay, that's next. And then you have to have um, some skills in uh, leadership and in communication and teamwork. And then you have to pass NASA's uh, very difficult physical, which in involves all kinds of endurance testing and weightlessness testing and, and all kinds of things. And you have to have vision that's correctable to 2020, whether with glasses or contacts or, or without. And then if you pass all of those things, uh, you can apply and you might be one of 120 people uh, to be invited to NASA in Houston for an in-person interview. Now, out of that, in 2016, which is the last statistic they posted, uh, there were 18,300 people who met all those other requirements and were interested in applying for that interview position. So 120 of them made it to the interview. Half of those make it to a second interview, uh, and then they can start training uh, in the NASA system for at least two years, and then they might make it onto one of those spaceships that goes up into, into outer space. So to be one of the very few chosen out of nearly 20,000 people, you need to be the best academically and physically, and you need to stand out as a leader and a team player, and you need to do, and to do all of this requires intense sacrifice and intense focus. Would you all agree with that? Yeah, it would take a lot to become an astronaut. In today's gospel, we read about this rich young man. And this rich young man has a goal. It's a goal that he's had since his youth. And his goal was to inherit eternal life. And so as he's seeing Jesus passing by one day, he recognizes the opportunity. He recognizes Jesus as a great teacher. He recognizes Jesus as a rabbi who is close to God and has generated uh, quite a bit of a following behind him. And so he eagerly approaches Jesus, and he's, he's, been, he's been discipled. He's been following rabbis and instructions since he was a wee boy. And so he feels pretty good about himself, and he approaches Jesus and he says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That was his goal. That's what he really wanted, eternal life. That's a goal for all of us, too, I would hope, right? Who's, is that a goal for you? Inherit eternal life? Yeah? Good, good. It's my goal, too. And so Jesus uh, looks at him and he says, well, what you need to do is you need to keep the commandments. That was the answer everybody expected. And he goes through uh, a, an assortment of the Ten Commandments. And the boy, the rich young man, gets very excited. He says, I've kept all of these since I was very young. So he's, he's feeling pretty good. And then Jesus says, well, one thing you lack. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And then the man looks kind of dejected. Then he turns around and he walks away. That's a hard thing, isn't it? To have this goal that you've desired since your youth, to find this teacher who could affirm you in all the things that you've done that make you feel good about yourself, and to have him say, there's just one thing you lack. It's a simple thing, just, just sell all you have and give the money to the poor, and, and come follow me. You'll have riches in heaven. 
Well, it was a hard thing for him, and I think it would be a hard thing for many of us as well. Why was it a hard thing for him? Because as it says in the gospel, this was a man who had great possessions, or great wealth, as some translations put it. He wasn't willing to give up those possessions or that wealth to follow Jesus. And so this brings up the question, uh, not just for him, but for all of us. Do you own your possessions, or do your possessions own you? Do you own your possessions, or do your possessions own you? Now, a common misconception about the teaching of the Bible on money, and especially passages like this one, is that people think, well, money, therefore, is evil. And so the path uh, to spiritual enlightenment, the path to eternal life, is to divest yourself of as much money as possible and to live as a poor person. And that's not something very many people are willing to do. So let's ask the question, is money evil? Is there something wrong with money? Is it wrong to have money? Is it wrong to use money? And the answer, of course, is no. Jerry got it right. Money is morally neutral. There's a, 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 a teacher named Dave Ramsey who teaches a lot about finances from a Christian perspective. And he says money is morally neutral. And he likes to use the image of a brick, for example, of a brick. He says, if you have a brick, you can use it to build a building, which is in most cases a good thing. Or you can take that brick and smash it through someone's car window, which would be a bad thing. Is it the brick's fault that it got smashed through someone's car window? No. Is it the brick's fault that it was used to build a building? No. It has to do with the way that that brick is used, with the person who influences that brick towards either good or evil purposes. The brick itself has no moral goodness or badness. And it's the same with money. Money in and of itself has no moral value. It is neither good nor bad. But what we do with it and how we acquire it and our attitude towards it, that does have a moral consequence. It can be good or bad, how we use our money, how we think of our money. And so this brings us to Timothy. At the end of 1 Timothy, we hear this verse, which is often misquoted. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, how is that verse usually quoted? Money is the root of all evil. That's usually how you hear people say it in the, in the popular world out there, people who haven't been reading their Bibles very closely. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil, but it does say that money is a root of all kinds of evils which is just a little bit better, right? Just a little bit better. Money can be a tremendous temptation for so many. It can be for me. I'm sure it can be for you as well. The desire to acquire more money, the desire to hold on to the money that we do have, the desire to use our money to buy all kinds of things, the desire for more money to buy more things, 
All of these things can have a tremendous influence on our decisions and the way we choose to live our lives. What Paul is saying here, and what Jesus is saying too, is not that money itself is going to keep us out of heaven. And if you read what Jesus says carefully, he doesn't tell this young man or his disciples that money is going to keep you out of heaven or that the rich can't get into heaven. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Is that impossible? No, but it's difficult. And even Peter questions this. He says, well, who can be saved then? He recognizes that this is a problem for everybody. Who can be saved then if it's difficult for the rich to enter heaven? And Jesus says, with man this is impossible. But not with God. For all things are possible with God. So why, why would money keep us out of heaven? How can our riches trap us in ways that would separate us from God? We can't let our possessions and our money become idols to us. Because what is an idol? An idol is anything which takes the place of God in our lives. God is the only one who should sit on the throne of our hearts. And so if God is dethroned for anything in our lives, that thing has become an idol to us. And this is what Jesus saw in this rich young man as he came to him. What he saw is that this rich young man had made an idol out of his possessions. And this is why Jesus instructed him to sell all that he had and give the money to the poor and follow him. Because this man's possessions were trapping him. They were the one thing that was keeping him from a deep relationship with God and from eternal life. And this is not unlike what Jesus taught at the end of chapter 9. We heard this a few weeks ago. He says, If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Jesus is saying that anything that keeps us from God, anything that gets in the way of our relationship with God, anything that causes us to sin, we need to be ruthless with getting rid of it and getting it out of our lives, getting rid of that temptation so that God can have the chief place on our hearts. Because God is more important than any of it. And your place in eternal life is more important than any of it. Now you might be thinking, like Peter, that you're not wealthy, so you're off the hook. Peter's response to this, to Jesus' teaching, is kind of dusts himself off like this. He goes, See, we have left everything to follow you. That's not unlike the rich young man's attitude, by the way. Remember the rich young man approaches Jesus and he says, Oh, well, good. I've kept all these things since my youth. 
And Peter, too. He's proud of himself. He says, I've left everything to follow you. And Jesus says, that's good. That's good. I'm glad you did. But Peter had his own issues. Money might not be your issue, but it is an issue for lots of us. And for people living in America with the trappings of consumerism around us and with more riches, even the poorest of us in America have generally more riches than a lot of people all over the world. So from that perspective, money probably is a temptation for all of us. And even if we aren't tempted by money, it can be very easy to fall into the trap of the idolatry of our possessions. Which brings the question again, do you own your things or do your things own you? A friend of mine named Grant Lamarcond uh, was a professor at Trinity School for Ministry and he was called by God to go to Africa with his wife and to become a bishop in Ethiopia, which is a very poor country. And in the process of doing that, in the process of following that call, he literally did sell all that he had. They sold their house. They had a big, big yard sale that ran for weekends, over weekends, over weekends, and they sold literally everything that they had. And they took what was left of that money and they used it to support themselves in this mission in Africa. And there were many days when he and his wife were hungry, and there were many days when they didn't have enough, and there were many days that I'm sure it was very hard for him. But he was willing to give all those things up to follow God's call. And along with that suffering, they experienced great joy. If you could hear them tell the stories of the things that they were doing and the people they were meeting and the ministry they were uh, accomplishing and the things that they were seeing God do in their midst, you could just see the smiles on their faces. And the smiles and the joy overwhelmed any suffering or hardship that they faced. But I think this gives us a helpful tool to think about how much our possessions are impacting our lives and where our possessions have started to carve out a little seat on the throne that belongs to God right here in our hearts. And so if God called you today to sell all that you had and give the money to the poor and go follow him to Africa, what would hold you back? I'm not saying that God is calling you to do that, but if he did, what would hold you back? Which of your possessions, how much of your bank account, or maybe it's not your possessions in your bank account, maybe it's your health, or maybe it's your family, maybe it's your career. There are all kinds of things that could hold us back from following God, but any of them might be an idol. Do you remember, um, I don't remember the, the comedian's name, but he had that, that whole line of comedy, you might be a redneck if... Jeff Foxworthy, thank you, Jeff Foxworthy. Well, this is, uh, you might be an idolater if, uh, if these things are enthroned in your heart, you might be an idolater. You might not be following God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, I'm not saying that to wag my finger at you. Jesus, as he approached this rich young man with this very tough call, it says Jesus looked on him and he loved him. Jesus had great love in his heart for this rich young man. And Jesus has great love in his heart for you. 
Jesus knows the secrets of your, thought, of your hearts. He knows the things that you think about. He knows the things that you desire. He knows the places in your own heart where you have dethroned him. And he wants you back. He wants to take the chief place in your heart. Now again, this doesn't require you necessarily to sell all that you have and give the money to the poor. There are lots of good things that you can do with money because money itself is morally neutral. The problem is that when money takes God's place in our hearts, we have become idolaters. So what should we do? Recognizing that all of us have things that have dethroned God in our hearts, what should we do? If your idolatry has something to do with money or with possessions, then one really good solution is to give, which is just what God, what Jesus told this rich young man to do. Give away everything you have. Your wealth has obviously become an idol to you, so give it away. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your money causes you to sin, give it away. Our primary reason for giving should not be out of obligation. And yet, that's where a lot of us start with giving. We have this sense of, of guilt that I really should be giving, and I'm not giving enough. And that weighs on us, and it burdens us. And so we ask questions like, how much do I have to give? How much do I have to give? And this is not unlike the man's question as he approached Jesus. Teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? This is a law-based approach. And while law might motivate us to a certain extent, it's not a sustainable solution, and it's not a right solution, because it has everything to do with our works and earning our place in eternal life. This man was trying to earn eternal life through his actions. And if you think about it, as a, a law-abiding man, as a, a man who knew the Old Testament in and out, a man who followed each and every command, this is a man who probably gave 10% of all that he'd had. So it's not that he wasn't giving, but even as he was giving that 10%, even as he was giving that tithe of what he had, he still was trapped by his wealth, and he had made it an idol. And so Jesus calls him to give more. When we look at 2 Corinthians, we haven't quite gotten to this chapter yet, but we'll get there in just a few weeks in our, in our Wednesday study. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is a wonderful verse about giving. This is uh, chapter 9, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Or the, the actual Greek word there uh, is basically hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. Just imagine, imagine a very wealthy person like, you know, uh, Uncle Scrooge in the, in the, Disney, uh, the Disney, he goes swimming in his, in his gold coins, right? Just imagine someone like that throwing his money 
at people and just laughing about it. God loves a cheerful giver, a hilarious giver. It brings joy to give stuff away. It brings joy to see the peace that comes on someone's heart when you give them something that they really need. God loves a cheerful giver. And he doesn't want us to give out of obligation. He doesn't want us to be giving grudgingly. He wants us to be cheerful in our giving. And so what Jesus, what Paul here instructs us to do is to give what we've already decided in our heart. And that decision is a decision that we need to arrive at prayerfully. And so a cheerful giver might ask, how much do I get to give? Instead of how much do I have to give, a cheerful giver would ask, how much do I get to give? God, what are you allowing me to give right now? Why do we give? Well, one good reason is that giving frees us from the idolatry of our possessions. Just like that rich young man, when we give away something that's become an idol to us, we become free from that thing. And when we give away our money, each time we do it, it's a reminder that we are getting rid of this thing. It's not important to us. It's not going to take the place of God in our lives. And so giving reminds us that all we have does not actually belong to us. All of it actually belongs to God. Because you belong to God. And therefore, everything you have belongs to God. All of it is to be used in the service of his kingdom. And he knows that you have needs. He knows that you need to eat. He knows that you need a roof over your head and a car to to get you back and forth to the places he's calling you to go. That doesn't mean you have to give away all of it. But when we give away some of it, it's a reminder that all of it actually belongs to him. God's blessed us with resources, and he's made us stewards over all of it. And a steward isn't an owner. A steward is someone who manages someone else's resources. And that's what we do. We manage God's resources on his behalf for his kingdom. And so we need to remind ourselves regularly that all that we have belongs to God, and giving helps us to do that. It helps us to lay aside the things that have trapped us, and it helps us to find freedom from idolatry to our possessions. But another really good reason to give is that giving is an investment in God's kingdom. When we give to the church, that is. When we give to the church, when we give to the work of mission, we are making investments in God's kingdom. And as Christians, Jesus calls us to make disciples of all nations, and it's our desire, our deep desire to see God's kingdom grow and expand. I think we'd all love to see all the people around us, anyone who's ever heard of Good Samaritan Anglican Church, we'd all love to see them bow their knee to Jesus and accept him as their Lord and Savior, right? That'd be awesome. And so what do we need to do to make that happen? We need to participate in that work, and part of that participation is by giving. And so when we give, we make kingdom investments that help God's kingdom grow and expand. God invites us to participate in this work through giving our time, our talent, and our treasure. He wants us to participate in all of those ways. And he has gifted us differently. He's gifted us with different amounts of money. He's gifted us with different spiritual gifts. He's gifted us with different amounts of time. 
but whatever he's given you, he desires for you to use it in the service of his kingdom. And so I want you to consider your giving for 2019. We're in our our stewardship season as we think about the future, and the vestry is thinking about 2019 uh, from a budget perspective, but also from a mission perspective. And this is a good time for each of us to be thinking about what God is calling us to give in 2019 for the work of his kingdom through this church, through Good Samaritan. But I don't want you to give out of a sense of compulsion or obligation. I want you to be a cheerful giver. And so the way to do that is to begin with prayer. To prayerfully consider in your heart what you are to give by asking God what his desire for you is for this year, for right now. I will be doing this with my wife, Mother Carrie, and we can all be doing this together in this this month or so of, of thinking and praying about giving. And then on November 4th, we'll have an opportunity to bring our pledge, car, ble, bring our pledge cards forward uh, and lay them before the altar as an act of worship. Because when we give, it is truly an act of worship. That's why we, we take up a collection and we bring it forward and we sing the doxology each week. Because the, the ways that we give with our time, our talent, and our treasure are ways that we worship God. Turning things over to him and using them for his kingdom. There is much work to do as we rebuild the mission of this church so that we can more effectively make disciples for God's kingdom. And so I also want to stop and thank each of you for the contributions of time, talent, and treasure you've all made in 2018. You're all vitally important to this church. Each of you has an important role to play, and each of you has played an important role this year. And so I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for following God's call for you this past year. Your contributions of your time, talent, and treasure have made a big difference in God's kingdom this year. And I look forward to working alongside you under the power and direction of the Holy Spirit as we move into 2019. So I want to just take a moment to pray together as we close the sermon for today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the witness of Jesus in your word. We thank you for the love that he had for that rich young man and for the way he was able to discern the thoughts and intentions of his heart and to show him the places where you were calling him to grow. And so I pray, Lord, that you would set your eyes upon each of us as you always do, that you would discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts and reveal those things to us by your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would show us the places where we have made idols to dethrone you in our hearts. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to do whatever it takes to get those idols out of our lives and to put you back on the throne where you belong. We pray especially for the ways that our possessions and our money have trapped us in the past or even now. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak clearly to each of us as we contemplate and pray about what you're calling us to give in the next year. We pray that you would reveal your will to us and that you'd help us to follow your call. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, 
please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.